You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. With over 8,000 threat hunters analyzing over 65 trillion signals daily, Microsoft works tirelessly with the federal government to keep our nation's data secure. This 30-year-plus partnership is driving mission innovation that is secure by design. Whether optimizing your existing defenses or tackling advanced threats with AI, Microsoft gives you the intelligence and the automation you need to defend at mission scale. Let's work together to stay ahead of emerging threats and secure your mission anywhere. Learn more at aka.ms slash fedcyber. That's aka.ms slash fedcyber. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Research Saturday. I'm Dave Bittner, and this is our weekly conversation with researchers and analysts tracking down threats and vulnerabilities, solving some of the hard problems of protecting ourselves in a rapidly evolving cyberspace. Thanks for joining us. We basically track the cyber underground all across the globe, but looking at our reporting, we saw that uh, the Russian-speaking underground is some, sometimes somewhat overrepresented, um, and there's less information on the Chinese cyber underground. Um, and so we thought we'd, uh, we'd shine, try and shine a light on that. That's Moritz Lucas. He's Director of Intelligence Solutions at Intel 471. The research we're discussing today is titled No Pandas, Just People, The Current State of China's Cybercrime Underground. And now a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. Well, take us through some of the basics here. I mean, when we're talking about the, the Chinese underground, can you describe to us uh, what the uh, what it's made up of? Yes, um, of course. I think the... What it's made up of is, is um, actually very similar to um, other parts of the globe. Actors seem to be, the actors that are active in the, in the cyber underground seem to have very much the same type of motivations. Um, there's just a couple of things that kind of set them apart from what we see in other areas of the world, especially if we look at um, the Russian-speaking cyber underground. We can compare it with that. Hmm. What are some of the differences? Some of the key differences, they all have to do, of course, with the, the with kind of the, the unique situation in China where there is an extremely um, active and pervasive um, surveillance activity going on. Um, and so that has its effects on, on Chinese um, underground actors. They are very acutely aware that the government may take a dim view of what they do. 
Um, and so they, they kind of try and um, certainly they're very much focused on remaining anonymous. They definitely do not want you to know their real life identity, as it were. And at the same time, they may be very cagey about what types of activities they're engaged in and to what level they're engaged in them. So if you look at the very kind of the top tier actors, if you look at the Russian speaking underground, they're very active, they're very open, they're eager to prove that they are, um, that they're kind of top tier actors, whereas in the Chinese one, they're trying to keep a very, very low profile. You know, I hear people speak often about, um, you know, the Great Firewall of China. What what part does that play in these people's efforts? Um, it, it plays a, a large part. There's actually the Firewall of China, apparently, from what we can see, it's just one part of a larger puzzle. Um, it, it's actually a separate entity. Um, there's a separate, um, there's actually another project called Golden Shield, um, whose aim it is to create a, um, in the words of the, I think of the Chinese government, a safe um, cyberspace for China. Um, and that's all about surveilling and, and, and monitoring what's going on on the internet within China. Um, the Great Firewall then shields that from the rest of the world. So from a perspective of the, uh, the underground actors, they're trying to evade the surveillance from the Golden Shield project. But at the same time, if they want to access stuff, kind of international for want of a better word, um, things such as tools or um, techniques that are being discussed in other parts of the internet, they need to find a way round or through um, the, the Great Firewall of China. Not all of them are able to do that. Um, some of them actually also do that because they want to conduct their activities. So Chinese actors talking to Chinese actors, um, not within China. They want to do it on infrastructure hosted somewhere else or tour services that kind of escape that surveillance. So they're very much focused on the uh, on the Great Firewall of China, trying to uh, trying to get around that. It also serves as some kind of barrier. So the interesting one interesting thing that we see is some actors are able to bypass the firewall. They will then take tools or open source tooling from other parts of the world and then repackage it or start spreading that in China. Sometimes modifying it, renaming it, building their own versions based off of it. But because the, the firewall makes it difficult for kind of their their fellow actors to kind of get their hands on on what's out there, they form this kind of this gatekeeping function or this conduit, and they're able to um, to modify them and sell them um, and sell these modified versions. What level of sophistication does it take to to circumvent something like you know the Great Firewall? Or are, are we talking? Are, are these tools? readily available to to average people who want to use them or does this take a little more technical know-how i think it takes a little more technical know-how however the internet being the internet um, guides and information are available i think for a lot of people doing it the 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 kind of the risk that they're trying to um kind of the balance they're trying to strike is you need to do it right um so you, you not only want to bypass the great firewall you don't want them to detect that you're doing it because that could have real-life repercussions. I think if you want to look, one of the things that really sets the Chinese underground apart is this acute realizations by all of the actors involved that if they're found out, that could have real-life um, repercussions. On the other hand, so many people are are doing it, not even for the most, what we would term, criminal reasons. Some just want to watch foreign TV or watch foreign media um, or uh, stream foreign movies, etc., that aren't available within China, um, and so they're looking to do it to bypass the the firewall for those reasons. 
Well, let's go through some of the various markets that you all have listed here in your research. Um, you start out by talking about the deep mix market. What's going on there? So I think deep mix is one of the most well-known um, Chinese marketplaces. Um, there's actually, we, we turned them two versions, deep mix one and deep mix two. Um, hmm. Deep mix one was the original, but as I said, there was these, there are not just golden shield, but also regular projects or um, schemes run by the government kind of where they're cleaning up the internet. Um, you'll be able to find announcements where they've arrested so many or arrested so many cyber criminals or people selling fraudulent products, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the first iteration of the deep mix uh, market went offline after it uh, was, was suffered a sustained uh, distributed denial of service attack um, and then resurfaced a little bit later on but with some added DDoS protections and also some modifications, um, some enhanced protection for its users. And so we refer to that as kind of deep mix market, the second version or deep mix market two. And that's where underground actors can basically, you can create an account and you can buy and sell things. It's an underground uh, marketplace. And again, most of the focus for what we see is trading kind of virtual goods, things that you can transfer digitally. Um, there is a, Obviously, with all of the surveillance, I mean, actors trying to stay anonymous, anything that requires them to physically deliver something to the seller or the buyer to get something from the seller um, is something that they're a little less enthusiastic about. But digital or virtual goods are very much um, what we see there. And what are some of the other markets that you all are tracking here? What are the other ones that catch your eye? Well, we've there's basically um, kind of variations of deep mix, meaning markets that do the same thing. So you have the um, United Chinese escrow market. It was uh, established as one of the other um, kind of other variations of deep mix market. Um, we have T-Horse Road, um, again, um, basically similar to United Chinese escrow market and deep mix. Um, and uh, Free City um, is another one of the well-known marketplaces that we track. And then you also mentioned that, that there, there are some efforts to have open web forums, but uh, I suppose the, the government is has its eye on those? Yes, uh, absolutely. Um, there are some. One of the and, and some, what we see about the open web forums, they, they exist, but then they'll get shut down as they run afoul of the authorities. Quite often what they try and do is position themselves as um, being kind of research hubs for, for people interested in security or interested in hacking. It's just people who want to learn more about it, but not necessarily want to be engaged in it or want to learn how to protect, protect themselves from hacking. But of course, all of the tooling and all of the knowledge you, you learn there to uh, quote unquote protect yourself against hacking can also be used for what will be their primary use. But they try and um, they try and evade the ire of the authorities by presenting themselves as more research or only for people who are interested um, in learning more about it. But of course, if they overdo it um, and they actually do start to look too much like a real um, cyber underground forum, but in the open web, then uh, quite often we'll see the authorities react and it gets taken down. Hmm. You know, there's there's a sense with with some of these criminal undergrounds that um, you know, sometimes governments will will turn a blind eye. And I'm thinking specifically of the Russians. But do we see evidence of that sort of thing with the Chinese as well? This this idea that perhaps folks whose day jobs are are working for the state they they're moonlighting on the side. 
Um, so we see some some evidence of it sometimes, but actually, it, it, exactly the point that you raise, we see in China, it's actually the mostly the opposite. Actors, most actors are acutely aware that for the most part, the government will take will probably take a very dim view of what they do. So they are very much focused on um, on on guarding their anonymity, keeping their real identity private, etc. Having said said that, there's a, a group called um, they're called Honker Union, um, which actually comes from the Chinese for Honggei, which means um, interesting enough, it means red guest because the um, Chinese for hacker is actually black guest. An uninvited mm. guest. So, what this means is is red hackers is basically the red hacker union, um, and these have been engaged in um, mostly if uh, in, in international relations. If one country makes disparaging remarks um, about China, um, or if companies, for instance, list um, either Taiwan or Hong Kong as separate countries to mainland China, which is obviously very often a um, something that will will get you a, a, a sternly worded letter um, at the very least. Um, mm. You sometimes see them launching uh, DDoS attacks, defacement attacks, etc. Within the, the Honka Union group, we uh, Honka Union, we have seen some voices got say that they want to be kind of have some have closer ties to the state. You can see that they can be useful as sort of proxy forces in that sense, and there are some. You do see some some similarities sometimes where you see the the Chinese government protest and then immediate and the Honker Union also trying launching their um, kind of attacks. But I think that's the that's the extent of it. Can you give us a, a sense for how a Chinese citizen would would go down this path? I'm thinking about you know how do you hide your IP address? How do you go about Doing the if this is something you're interested in, how how do they typically go about it and still maintain their anonymity? So there's a couple of ways um, of going about it. One obviously is to find some kind of open Wi-Fi. So I think the the, the first again the, the the first qualifying remark is that if you if you're engaged in something which is um, which is kind of something very the Chinese authorities would take a very very dim view of, um, then most of these measures. You'd need to add. You'd need to do much, much more. Um, but for an average Chinese citizens, uh, finding a coffee shop, um, getting on the Wi-Fi, um, or any other open Wi-Fi, um, using those um, VPNs. We also we can also see that some Chinese actors, um, when they use their home internet connection, if you power cycle your modem. Um, or your ca- or cable mode or whatever, you may get a fresh new IP address. So they'll they'll go online, do what they what they need to do, and then quickly make sure that they get assigned a new IP address and then engage in their regular activity. None of that is foolproof, of course. If someone were to um, go to their ISP and, and look at logs and forms, you'd be able to see when they had that IP address. They do it for activity where no one is going to go to that much trouble to kind of track them down. Um, other Things that we see is um, people talking about using kind of satellite internet um, or satellite services even, um, mm. especially when looking for um, when you want to watch foreign movies, um, if you can get a dish. Um, but if you if you get a dish, you're, I think you're supposed to get a license. So many people try and, and put some cover over them, disguise them as air conditioning units, for instance. Um, but it's just a box with a with a dish in it. So those are the um, the types of. I think there's actually an Instagram account on 
um, or people publish pictures where we've where they've uh, where they've spotted a uh, a disguised dish. So those are the mm. kind of tricks that people get up to. And is there a specific type of of malware of of of, of goods and services that? Uh, the Chinese folks seem to be focused on? Um, there's a lot of focus on brute forcing, DDoS uh, tooling, um, exploitation tooling. Um, there's a, a particular focus on anything to do with exploit for, for vulnerabilities. So um, think web servers, Apache, Microsoft servers, um, cryptocurrency mining, um, and also stealing and brute forcing of cryptocurrency wallets. Um, we see a lot of, as I said, we see you see kind of local variations of well-known um, remote access trojans or pen testing tools, things like Cobalt Strike, um, Anubis, um, NJ Rat, Ghost, um, things we see, and then we see these local versions that are being uh, that are being traded. Um, a lot of focus on uh, illegal gambling. Um, and um, hacking of illegal gambling sites. Um, sometimes some other activities around um, uh, kind of um, what they call the, the other vices. Um, so looking at activities around that. And a, a major focus on, uh, on ripping other actors off, um, which is mm-hmm. kind of logical. If, if, you're, if this is the kind of the closed-off pool and, and, and you're restricted to, the, to that section, you, sometimes you start just, um, they start scamming each other. No honor among thieves, I suppose. No, or very little. <laughs> Where do you see this going? I mean, is this a, is there a sense of, of equilibrium here in terms of what the government does and, um, and, and what these actors do? Is this an ongoing game of, of whack-a-mole? Where do you think we're, we're headed in the future with this? That's a, a very good question. I think there, there's always going to be a certain equilibrium. I mean, that's the the system will will find a this, this system will find some point of equilibrium um, around mm. how much effort the, the the authorities are putting into into to doing this versus um, the activity of the actors there. I, at the same time, I think it it goes in it, it ebbs and waves, as it were. Um, you see these; they're almost annual announcements of these operations to sweep the uh, the internet and then they uh, and then you get this focus on how many cyber criminals for instance are arrested or people committing fraud i think a lot of them are tied around um kind of stuff that's that is playing in chinese society at large um so the re- the last one for instance had a particular focus on people uh, making fraudulent offers around anything to do with covid-19 or spreading rumors and i think from the government perspective this what we would what we would classify as cyber crime is one of the things they're trying to stop. Um, they're also trying to you know, keep a lid on on many other types of things, either discussing politically sensitive subjects, uh, making disparaging remarks about the um, about the government or the uh, or the Communist Party, which are the same thing in China. They're one and the same. Um, so they're they're basically looking to keep a lid on all those kind of things. Cybercrime is just one aspect of it. At the same time, the gold, the Golden Shield, that project to to kind of make sure that Chinese cyberspace is safe, I think, will continue and will become more and more kind of larger and invasive and and better. One of the things that we found in our reporting, of course, is that 
looking at the internet is just one part of it. They're also looking at um, all kinds of, all aspects of behavior um, of citizens. Um, and these things are linked. So if you, if you step out of line, for instance, in, in public life, um, do something there, all of that would, all of it goes back into, I think, what they call their social credit score. Um, and if you lose too many credits, you will be you will be limited in your activities. There was talk of people not being allowed to travel. If you're you can't go on holiday, you can't travel internationally, for instance, um, or even uh, domestically, um, if your social credit score is not good enough. And all of these activities on the internet, if you get caught out doing something there, will also have negative consequences for the for that credit score. It sounds. Very 1984, very uh, totalitarian. So this is just one part of that um, of that larger, what seems to be a much larger endeavor. Um, and I think they're 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 still very much at work on on building that out. Our thanks to Maritz Lucas from Intel 471 for joining us. The research is titled No Pandas, Just People, The Current State of China's Cybercrime Underground. We'll have a link in the show notes. And now a word from our sponsor, Six Sense. Six Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks and optimizing operational efficiency. With SixSense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals. Confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose SixSense, visit SixSense.com. The CyberWire Research Saturday is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. <laughs>